Well, this morning when uh, I found out Angela had uh, uh, something she had to take care of, I said, sure, I'll uh, fill in for you. But it reminded me uh, in the Bible where it talks about an ox in a ditch. And uh, this morning it wasn't an ox, it happened to be a horse. But she had to go take care of that. hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer, that calls me from a world of care, and bids me at my Father's throne, make all my wants in wishes known in seasons of distress and grief my soul has often found relief and oft escaped the tempter's snare by thy return, sweet hour of prayer. In my immortal flesh, I'll rise to seize the everlasting prize and shout while rising through the air, farewell, farewell. Sweet hour of prayer. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Before I begin, I'd like to have one last word, one more word of prayer, not one last. We'll say it that way. Bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this opportunity to share, to experience from your throne words, words of hope. I pray that you would empty me now of myself so I can be filled with you, and I ask that you would bless us all. Rebuke Satan's power to distract us, and just be here in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
So I'd like to think a moment what was going on when the scripture was read? What was going on in Jeremiah's time? If we remember where things started in the Garden of Eden, God created everything perfectly. Well, then sin came into the picture, right? And it's been kind of a downhill slide from there. Time after time, God had repeatedly tried to reach out to his people and call them back to him, right? And that's exactly what was happening here in Jeremiah. He's posing a question. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? God's people had drifted far away from him. And to use Ellen White's words from Prophets and Kings, she called this particular time in history a time of unparalleled apostasy. So to that point, it had been the worst the church had seen. All right? Now let me ask you a question. Let's compare things from then to today. How many of you think things have gotten better since then? Show of hands. For those who are listening to this podcast, there is not a single hand. All right. How many of you think maybe it's about the same? Again, no hands. How many of you think it's worse? All right, that's the majority. I would agree with you. Today we're going to look at who or what that balm in Gilead is. So humanity has fallen a very long way from where we started. I think we all agree that we've all experienced sin in our lives. We're all broken. All right. We've experienced either firsthand, secondhand, selfishness, arrogance, pride, ignorance, prejudice. We've all been on the giving and receiving end of sin. Today we're going to describe sin as an illness or a disease that we all suffer from, that we all need healing from. And I think we rightly should call it a disease because if nothing is done, it's going to kill us. You can see in the world around us, in the natural world, disasters are happening, right? Life expectancy, our health, we're all dying slowly. Life expectancy is declining. Let's take a, few, a look at a few verses here. Turn with me to Jeremiah 31, verse 30. Jeremiah 31 and verse 30. And it says, But everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. All right, so we had earlier in the chapter question, isn't there a physician here that we know of? We know that if we don't seek that physician, we will die. Or the well-known verse in Romans chapter 6, I'm going to look that one up, otherwise I'm going to misquote it. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life. In who? Christ Jesus our Lord. Now the interesting thing about sin, it is like a disease. All right. So what happens when somebody gets a cold? We just came out of cold and flu season, right? 
How many of you ended up getting cold this year? I was one of them. All right. What happens when you get a cold? You get sick. What happens now? Let's say somebody who unknowingly has the flu. You come into church. All right. Then you start coughing and sneezing. Well, what happens? Next week, you're going to see a few more people coughing and sneezing, right? And then the illness spreads. So sin, I think, is the same way. If a person hangs out with sinners, quite often they start acting like the sinners and doing the same kinds of things. What's that principle we call it? The beholding principle, right? By beholding, we become changed, right? So I'd like to say, sin is spread by proximity. All right? Now let's describe sin as leprosy. I heard a sermon once where sin was described as leprosy. I don't know how many of you are familiar with leprosy and how it works. I'm really not going to get into those details because it's not very pleasant. But I understand it starts off as a little spot, all right? Usually it's pretty well, uh, well hidden. You can cover it up pretty easily, okay? Same with sin. At first, you might have something maybe you're struggling with, some small thing, all right? You can pretty easily cover it up or ignore it, all right? But as leprosy continues to spread, the disease gets bigger, the symptoms start showing a little more, then it might not be so easily concealed. Let's say you had maybe a spot on your shoulder and maybe it'll start to crawl, grow up your neck, so maybe you've got to pull your collar up a little bit to hide it, okay? Eventually, leprosy is going to overcome you to the point where you're going to be disfigured permanently. Limbs are falling off and things like that. Your face is permanently disfigured depending on how it works. That's going to be a bit harder to hide, right? If you're missing an arm, same thing with sin. At first, you're going to be able to hide it. But as it eats at a person, as it continues to get into your soul, eventually, it's going to show on the outside. People are going to notice. There's something kind of funny. I'm not sure what it is. And then eventually, it's going to come out, and it'll be obvious. And the effects of that, Leprosy. Let's say you lose an arm. Can you regrow an arm? How many of you have known somebody that has regrown an arm? Me neither. Kind of hard to to, uh, overcome that one. The effects of sin are often felt long after the sin was committed. Now, we've all been hurt by someone, even inside the church, I think. And those, unfortunately, those wounds run deep and are not easily healed. Whatever the case is, whatever the sin is that we've dealt with and struggled with, there is a balm in Gilead. The question was asked in Jeremiah 8. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician here? That question is kind of a rhetorical question, implying that yes, there is a balm in Gilead. Yes, there is a physician. So then he asks the next question. Why is there no healing? You have the medicine. You have the doctor. Why aren't we getting fixed? We often struggle with the same concept, I think. So let's talk about a balm. What is a balm? The definition I found for a balm is a fragrant oil 
or preparation used to heal or soothe the skin. Now, I did a little research on Gilead. Gilead was an area east of Jordan known for its medicinal herbs. And I don't remember the specific one that they really were prominent in making. There was a tree or a root of a tree that was found over there and primarily in that area that they used in many different medicines and herbs. But it was well known that if you needed something, Gilead's where you're going to find it. Now, let's look at some text about healing our sin-sick soul. Turn with me to Psalms 147, the 147th Psalm, starting in 1, the first five verses we'll read. Psalm 147, verses 1 to 5. I love this. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. Now catch this. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of stars. He calls them all by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Did you catch that in verse 3? Who heals the brokenhearted? Jesus. And he binds up their wounds. Turn with me over to Psalm 103. Again, the first five verses. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things, so that your teeth, your youth, excuse me, is renewed like the eagles. Are we getting a sense of what we're going with here? Where I'm going with this? Turn with me over to Second Chronicles chapter seven, verse fourteen. Second Chronicles. I love this verse. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will do what? Hear from heaven. And what? Forgive their sin. And what? Heal. I will hear. I will forgive. And I will heal. Amazing promises, right? Yes, there is a balm in Gilead. Jesus. But why is there no healing? I'm going to use an illustration For those of you who don't know, I am a respiratory therapist, and I work up at Marshfield Medical Center. I've been doing that for nine years. Healthcare is expensive, right? How many would agree with that? All right. So I've come across, in my experience, quite a few patients 
that put off going into the doctor because it's expensive. I've had many patients who don't get their medications because it's too expensive, all right? I'm sure we probably have all dealt with this to some form or another, right? Healthcare is expensive. How many of you have heard of the, the medication called primatine mist? Anybody? All right. So in our respiratory care profession, we've dealt with this medication for a while. I don't know when it came out on the market. doesn't really matter. But we've experienced things where patients have trouble breathing, right? People have experienced trouble breathing. They figure maybe it's asthma, maybe it's bronchitis, whatever it is. Primatine mist does not need a prescription in order to buy it. You can go down to Walgreens right now. Well, not right now, but tomorrow you can go down to Walgreens and pick up a vial of primatine mist. It is an inhaler, all right? So quite often people have said, okay, I've got some trouble breathing. Let's see if there's anything I can do about this. And the pharmacist says, yep, right there, primatine mist. That'll help you. The only problem is primatine mist is almost entirely made of epinephrine, all right? It's kind of a similar class of medication as albuterol, pretty well known, helps with your breathing. The only thing is, is al- or epinephrine can boost your heart rate and blood pressure and things like that. So if we're not taking this cautiously or carefully or under medical direction, we might run into problems, all right? Often what happens, though, is people go in, get this primatine mist and take it and say, okay, We'll do this for a while. Life is good, all right? I take a couple of puffs. I'm feeling better. Life is good. Well, a couple hours later, guess what? Oh, I'm still feeling like I have a hard time breathing. Get out the primatine mist, take it a couple more times, get a little more relief. People aren't going in to see the doctor. They could have something, some serious life-threatening condition. Could be pneumonia. Could be lung cancer even. I mean, there's all kinds of things that could be affecting your breathing. It could be something not related to your lungs. It could be your heart. You know, there's a lot of different things that cause trouble breathing, okay? For the record, I'm not trying to give any medical advice from the pulpit. Just saying. All right? And I have no issues with the medication primatine mist, for the record. What I do have a problem with is patients trying to take this stuff and self-medicating without going in and finding the real cause. All right? Because it could be something that they're not even expecting. And with proper medical treatment, they could get the right diagnosis and get the right treatment, and then they'd be doing a whole lot better. Does that make sense? Now, when it comes to sin, health care is expensive. All right? How many times we, we, we have our sin that we do over and over in Fortunately, it's a hard habit to kick, whatever it is, all right? But we like doing it, whatever it is, all right? To be cured from this, we have to give it up. So it's expensive. We don't like to give up things that we like. Now, when it comes to the primatine mist illustration, sometimes do we do our own self-medicating? All right? Finding something else that's going to maybe be a quick relief for the symptoms of sin. We may try to drown it out with something, food, alcohol, entertainment, whatever the case is, we take on something that's going to try to drown it out. 
Does that make sense? Sometimes we may, we know we have this issue that's been dealing, we've been dealing with for some time, uh, but we're just going to ignore it, all right? We're going to pretend like it's not there. But quite often, like I've seen, patients wait until it's almost too late. By the time they come into the emergency, emergency room, they're almost on death's door. How many times do we do that? We hold on to our sin until we just can't take it anymore and it's a crisis. All right? Why not just give it to him freely? Sometimes we busy ourselves doing the Lord's work to try to drown out the pain and the things that are going on in our lives. Maybe we hold grudges and to justify and gossip, to justify the feelings for the pain that that person caused us. You know, quite often with self-medicating, though, we only focus on symptom management. We don't go to the root of the problem. We don't get the medicine that's truly going to cure us. You know, the Bible tells us that we're unable to fix ourselves, to figure everything out, and to earn salvation. Turn with me to Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Romans 3, verse 10. This is probably another well-known verse. As it is written, what does it say there? There is none righteous. No, not one. Okay? So what good does self-medicating do? There's none of us that are righteous. No, not one. Or over in Isaiah chapter 64. Your fingers are going to get a workout today, I tell you. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like what? Filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So based on that verse, the best that we can do is like filthy rags. It's like dirt. All right? Now, I like here how uh, in the book of Matthew, Jesus calls the Pharisees and scribes out over in chapter 23, starting in verse 25. Matthew 23, verse 25, if you want to follow along. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So he calls them out. 
The scribes and Pharisees are trying to look good on the outside. But are they exempt from this uh, disease we call sin? Are they immune from that? No. They're full of dead men's bones on the inside, so to speak. You know, even if we want to do what's right, Paul in Romans, I believe, chapter 7, talks about the struggle with this sin thing on our own. Starting Romans 7, starting in verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that is in um, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not. But the evil but the evil I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. I think we all have suffered with this concept. It's a real struggle, isn't it? He wants to do what's right, but winds up doing what's wrong. You know, we're all plagued with this disease of sin. We can only be spiritually whole and healed through Jesus, the balm in Gilead. I like how Isaiah puts it. By his stripes, we are healed. By his stripes, we are healed. It doesn't say, by doing good, you're going to be healed. It doesn't say, by going to church every week, you're going to be healed. But by his stripes. We've all felt the effects of sin, broken relationships, Only Jesus can heal these effects. All right, now let's figure out how this concept of the balm and Gilead is really going to work. Turn with me, if you still are in Romans, over a couple chapters to chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 13. This is part of the prescription of that balm and Gilead. Check it out. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be... Saved. All right. Now, it only doesn't say here either, only those who go to church 
and call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't say that only those who are doing good, what does it say? Whoever. doesn't mean if you've been a sinner all your life and have been considered the worst of the worst. If you call on the name of the Lord, as part of this prescription says, you shall be saved. Let's go back over to that Second Chronicles verse. I want to look at this a little more in depth. Seven, Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Second Chronicles. So if my people, again, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Now there's a conditional if in that verse, correct? It says right there, if my people who are called by my name, what is it asking you to do? Humble yourself, pray, Seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive, heal. I will forgive, hear, and heal. All right? So now let me ask you something. Or let's say it this way. Let's define humble. Having or showing a modest estimate of one's own importance. Are grudges being humble? When you hold a grudge, who are you more worried about? Yourself. It's not being humble. The word repent, I've heard, literally means to turn. So as it says in this verse here, if my people who are called from my name will first humble themselves, now think of yourself first, and pray and seek my face and turn from your wicked ways. That doesn't mean that we have to literally go take ourselves from where we are now and make ourselves better so then God will help us out or heal us then. What does it ask us to do? Repent. All right? Now watch this. I just turned. Cool, huh? That's all he's asking us to do. We don't have to make ourselves better on our own by self-medicating. He's just asking us to turn away and seek his face. All right? I'm still in the same spot I am, but I'm just turning. How cool is that? All right, turn with me back to Romans There's a couple more texts we're going to look at here. Romans chapter 5 and verse 21. Romans chapter 5 and 21. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace, I love that word, grace. Or in Ephesians, you can look this up if you want, chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. All right, faith to me speaks of relationship. 
can we have faith without really trying to get to know God? All right, how do we develop this relationship? Let's hear some answers here. Talk to me. How do we get to know God? Spend time with him? Spend time with him doing what? A couple things I can think of. Studying his word? Praying? Those are the ones I really wanted. All right, we have this awesome thing called the Bible. And in my closing thoughts, I'm going to share something that Ellen White says about that. But I I would suggest that spending time with God in prayer and reading the Bible are going to be a huge benefit and a huge part to this prescription of being healed from sin. So we're not saved through works or self-medicating or, like the Pharisees did, washing the outside. We are saved through faith in that relationship. And I remember the, when the Israelites were all out in the wilderness, Moses, they were all getting bit by the snakes, right? What did God command Moses to do? Make the serpent and hold it up. And then what's going to happen to those people bitten by the snakes? They had to what? They had to look. He just asked them to look and they were healed. Same concept here. If we turn from our wicked ways and look... That's going to be the start of our healing right there. How cool is that? We don't have to do anything other than get to know him, turn, and look. Because that's really all about we can do, right? We already talked and said that we can't do anything good on our own. So there is no other requirement than other than to look. I love this verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. I'm going to look that up so I don't misquote that one too. And he saith to me, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Again, my grace is sufficient. What does sufficient mean? Does that mean we have to do, add some more? You know, add a little bit of hope and stir? No. My grace is sufficient. It is enough. So based on these last couple of verses that we've read here, the prescription, things we can or need to do, call on the name of the Lord, be humble and realize we can't fix ourselves, Right? Pray, talk to God, spend time in his word, make a decided effort to turn away from those things. As we do these things, he will make those things that once seemed so appealing seem like garbage to us. All right. My closing thoughts. These come from, I believe it was, Mind, character, and personality. The an antidote for grief. God has provided a balm for every wound. There is a balm in Gilead. There is a physician there. Will you not now, as never before, study the scriptures? 
Seek the Lord for wisdom in every emergency, in every trial. Plead with Jesus to show you a way out of your troubles. Then your eyes will be opened to to behold the remedy and to apply to your case the healing promises that have been recorded in his word. In this way, the enemy will find no place to lead you into mourning and unbelief, but instead you will have faith and hope and courage in the Lord. The Holy Spirit will give you clear discernment that you may see and appropriate every blessing that will act as an antidote for grief, as a branch of healing to every draught of bitterness that is placed to your lips. Every draught of bitterness will be mingled with the love of Jesus. And in place of complaining of the bitterness, you will realize that Jesus' love and grace are so mingled with sorrow that it has been turned into subdued, holy, sanctified joy. There is your prescription, folks, for healing. At this time, I'd like to share with you our our closing song by the group Mercy Me, a song entitled Flawless. I think this paints a wonderful picture of what happens when we come to the cross. Flawless by Mercy There's got to be more than going back and forth from doing right to doing wrong because we were taught that's who we are. Come on, get in line right behind me. You along with everybody thinking there's worth in what you do. Then like a hero takes the stage when we're on the edge of our seat saying it's too late. Well, let me introduce you to amazing grace. No matter the bumps, no matter the bruises, no matter the scars, still the truth is across as like this and wrap him up in righteousness but that's exactly what that's he
with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the prescription we have. We know that sin plagues so many here in the world. I pray that what we've learned today, we would own that. We would share that prescription and point others in your direction. Remind us, though, when we are struggling, that you're there, ready and willing to help heal us. Be with us now as we go our separate ways. We pray in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.